Many organizations struggle when it comes to communicating and realizing their business strategies. Many workers don't even understand the strategies in their own company. Welcome to the North Star with William Ulrich. Find out where your organization stands, what you might be doing right, and where you can improve. Now, here's your host, William Ulrich. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, William Ulrich. You're listening to the North Star. Feel free to contact me by email, LinkedIn, or my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. Today, we'll be discussing breaking through the legacy systems strategy execution barricade with my guest, Don Estes. You can find reference material related to this show on the North Star Radio page at my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. Don Estes is a senior principal at Maven Wave Partners. Don has more than 40 years of experience in IT, the majority of which has been spent managing business and technical risks in large-scale legacy software system transformations. He's done extensive work in data migration, transitional architecture design, legacy software modernization, risk-optimized testing, and business IT alignment. Don holds a patent for method and system for dynamic business rule extraction, and has a degree in physics from MIT and a master's in psychology from University of Texas. He can be reached by email at donestes, that's D-O-N-E-S-T-E-S, at donestes.com or on LinkedIn. Welcome, Don. Thanks for joining me today. We have a challenging topic that not a lot of people understand, so we're going to need some background uh, context from you. So, first sure. of all, lots, lots of people think about um, computers as these big boxes sitting in rooms with flashing lights. Uh, but um, in reality, we're really talking today about software. Could, can you give us a little bit of context on uh, software and what we talk about with legacy or heritage software systems? Well, the, <clears throat> when people ask me about uh, uh, what to do with some of this old software, um, I start out by saying it's it's not a it's you don't have a software problem you, you have a business problem, and this, uh, the software uh, needs to be changed in concert with the business because if you just try and take the software wholesale and rewrite it or follow any other methodology, you can end up with it not supporting your business the way you think it will. So. You've got to do both of them together. Good. So you've worked with uh, some large, very large organizations, uh, Fortune 500, Fortune 1000, also governments. Uh, so we're really looking at some uh, what, what people call large software portfolios, uh, lines of code, those types of things. Uh, and so what are we really talking about in terms of uh, scope and size with some of these portfolios? Oh, my. You walk into a data center, uh, it can have anywhere from uh, 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 dozens to hundreds of applications, uh, uh, thousands in a few cases. Uh, and each of those is going to be anywhere from 100,000 to 10 million lines of code. In a large data center, you're probably dealing with hundreds of millions of lines of code. And if you're talking to the federal government, <clears throat> You could be talking billions of lines of code. So it, it adds up. Yeah, there, there are numbers that are uh, staggering that most people can't really grasp or comprehend. Uh, and now some of these systems are, are older, right? Oh, yes. So how far oh, yes. back are we going here? Well, <clears throat> you know, the, for, the Fortune 500, <clears throat> excuse me. The Fortune 500 were amongst the first to computerize back in the uh, uh, in the 50s. Uh, uh, there are still applications from the 60s that are still running, um, but most of the time, the systems that we see are uh, 30 to, to 45 years old. I'm dealing with one right now, which is 45 years old. Yeah, they they don't seem to retire them very often, uh, and. Also complex if, if somebody is going to go in there and try to figure out what they did. Well, complexity, complexity is an interesting topic because <clears throat> when you look at a business, forget the computers, 
businesses have a certain degree of complexity. They have their processes, they have their, their, their uh, decision uh, business rules, um, and that constitutes kind of the essential complexity of one of these applications. But then over time, uh, that application has, has added more and more needless complexity on top of what was originally needed to run the business. Um, uh, and to some extent, they, these very old uh, systems have gotten out of control with this needless complexity. And that's one of the reasons why they have so much uh, trouble with the software. <clears throat> when you go into one of these uh, uh, systems and try to, uh, uh, try to modify it, um, even after you do all of your, uh, uh, your analysis and you figure out what you have to do to fix the problem, uh, it's going to, um, um, when you get into trying to fix it, you're going to apply the problem and then you're going to find that two or three things break over here, completely unanticipated, and then you stop and say, oh, I've got to go and fix those. And then you go and fix those, and then 10 other things will break over there. And it's not just the problem of fixing or enhancing it. It's doing it without breaking everything else uh, in the application. And that's what really uh, has earned the old software the reputation of being very difficult and expensive to modify. Yeah, and, and so, yeah, we talked about even simple changes. They take a while, and, and you just gave a great example of why they take a while. And they cost a lot of money, right, because while all this is going oh, on, yeah. right, yeah. We're, we're continuing to make the change, and everybody's sitting there saying, why isn't this done yet, right? And then you have to try to test this and make sure it actually works. Um, yeah. and, and, and as a rule, uh, because of the we don't understand what these things are doing, uh, we get business disruptions, right, which – which people see all kinds of examples of. And, and I'm sure you have, have some in, in mind that you've seen. Oh, oh I, I certainly have. Uh, the problem, of course, um, and I'm not talking simple systems, you know, the, the complex systems that uh, are old and, have been a, uh, and are of a significant uh, size. Um, if you gather in one room together all of the people who understand how the software works and how the business operates, um, well, you're going to find several interesting things. Some of them are going to start contradicting each other. And no, that's wrong. That's not how it works. It's like this. Um, and, and, and what you find is, in fact, neither of them are right. Um, when you try to rebuild one of these systems, you actually don't know what's in it and no one, and certainly no one person, and frequently the entire organization, does not know what's in these programs exactly. They, they know kind of, they know some of it, and, and, but, but when you rebuild it, it's got to be exactly the same thing, or when uh, you go to use it, you're not going to get the same results that you got out of the old system. That's, that's the fundamental problem. And, and you, you, when you're talking about some of these people, um, you're probably talking about a, uh, one of the best case scenarios. Uh, a lot of the people, and, and you and I run a government agency uh, for, uh, for a while, and there was one last person who really understood the guts of the main system, the main application that was mm -hmm. co sort of controlling everything. And we're not going to name names here on the, on the organization, <laughs> but everybody knows who these guys are. And there's one person left, and he, he could have retired. But, you know, they, he can also ask for as much money as he wants uh, to keep working there. But if that person's gone, you know, the, the new people who are, you know, younger programmers today, uh, a lot of them don't even know the programming languages, let alone know the complexity and the ins and outs of all these different systems and what they do. Is that, is that what you see uh, a lot of struggling with that? I'm dealing with that exact situation right now. <clears throat> um, there's... Uh, there's two people that really understood the old system. They've been there for 24 years. They helped write the system. Uh, one of them retired last Friday, and the other one announced he's retiring at the end of 2022. Um, so they've got a little time, but 
they're going to have to bring people in. Uh, it's, uh, it's a, uh, well, you'll know it's a similar and, and COBOL, uh, <laughs> languages that, that uh, are so out of date, they don't teach them anymore. Um, and they use an archaic database system, which nobody has ever heard of. It's, it's quite, quite a difficult problem that they're facing and they don't like the price tag for, uh, for what it's going to uh, take to fix it. So, so these are, you know, these are businesses, sometimes governments, but a lot of them are just, you know, they're businesses and they're trying to, they're trying to do the best to compete and help their work with their customers. Uh, they have things go wrong, but they also, they also want to put new strategies in and, and, and really uh, address and adapt and, and sort of stay with the modern world, uh, which in a lot of cases can mean changing these systems. So you you've probably actually seen where these systems have really hindered people from being able to do some of the things they want to do in business. Well, if you think back to what I was saying a minute ago, um, the, the business operations and the software that control it are intimately uh, uh, connected and you want to change something. And then it's very difficult to change because of all of the unanticipated breakages uh, that occur when you go in and try and perform surgery on, uh, on these things. So the only way that you're going uh, you know, to be able to change things in uh, mass is you're either going to have to start over again and build a new business and a new business process to, to go with it. Um, because if you are going to continue the old process, you're going to have a, a very difficult time reproducing that and then modifying it the way that you want, uh, the way that you want to go. A lot of business people ask the question, which is a logical question if you don't really understand the, what, what's underneath the covers of, you know, why do we still have these things? Why are we still running these systems? Uh, why, why have we replaced or rewritten them at this, at this, you know, it's 2021. I frankly wasn't sure I was going to be having this conversation today 40 years ago. <laughs> so, so, you know, that, but, but that is a question I'm sure you hear once in a while from the business people. Why don't we just rewrite it all? Oh, I hear that all the time. <clears throat> well, and you asked about complexity and complexity is the answer. Um, uh, the example, uh, this is a case where I can name names because it's public. Um, the computer-aided maintenance system for the U.S. Air Force uh, went into production in 1964. They have tried to rewrite it three times. Three times they failed. They're uh, on a fourth attempt now. I haven't heard the details of how this one is going, but I'm pessimistic. That code has such a towering load of needless complexity that trying to unpick all of it, um, the way they're going about it, uh, I don't think they're going to be able to do it. You and I were talking the other day about the, uh, the, the United States Veterans Administration systems. And yes. uh, if there's any veterans listening and, and you're wondering why you're, uh, at least maybe one of the reasons why the service isn't so good, the, uh, the estimate they came up with um, a couple of years ago, I heard this at one of the standards meetings, was $10 billion, and we were all sitting around laughing because we said it'll cost them $5 billion to figure out that they, they've already failed. Uh, yeah. that, that's kind of how they get going with this thing. But we're, we're not talking about anything that's that – we're not talking about anything that's simple here. We're talking about some significant issues. And, it, it you know, year after year passes, this doesn't, doesn't get better, right? Yeah. So, you know, we, we don't understand how these things work. Um, one of the things is, so if, if you compared or contrasted how some of these older, you know, we call them legacy systems work versus what might be considered the ideal or, or uh, ideally designed software architectures, right? There, there's some differences, right? Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Well, you got to remember when these, uh, <clears throat> these old systems uh, were built, uh, computers didn't have as much processing power as, as your wristwatch. Um, they had to be uh, built in very small pieces and then kind of uh, uh, assembled together as they were used. Um, uh, you know, and people just had to work with what they had available. Well, 
but those systems grew, computers got bigger, and, and those systems grew, but they never put all of the pieces back together again the way they should have from the beginning. <clears throat> uh, whereas if we start today, we're not going to build a system in pieces. We're going to build the system the way that it should be, and, and it's, it, that's much simpler to implement, provided, of course, you know exactly what it is that you're trying to implement which goes back to the people not being able to tell you what the system does. <laughs> right. Yeah, because the business doesn't know, right? The, the people oh, that were there when these things were automated, a lot of those people retired 10, 20, maybe longer ago, right? Yeah, 10, 20, absolutely. 30 years ago. They, they, yeah. They're not there. And so, you know, people started these jobs. They may have been there for 20 years. But when they got there, the systems were already running. And doing whatever they do, right? And so people don't really understand them. So you know what? What I think one of the things when we get back from our um, from our break, I want to talk about a little bit about you know the challenges and and I think these these systems can create risk, right? For organizations, is that a is that a fair statement? Oh, very <laughs> definitely so. <laughs> so, very definitely. so uh, we are going to take a quick break. Uh, you're listening to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing breaking through the legacy system strategy execution barricade uh, with my guest, Don Estes. And you can contact Don at donestes at donestes.com. And we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. Your organization is spending seven, eight, or even nine figures annually on transformation programs, and you're questioning the bottom line business value. You were told not to worry. We've engaged the best system integrators, and they said all is well. Has your IT organization become a black box where money goes in, but nothing comes out? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich has seen every side of this story, from upfront happy talk to painful post-mortems. Find out what's really going on. Visit tacticalstrategygroup.com and ask about TSG's Transformation Oversight Service. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to wmmulrich at tsgconsultinginc.com. That's wmmulrich at tsgconsultinginc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. You can reach me by LinkedIn email or on my website. We're discussing breaking through the legacy system strategy execution barricade with my guest, Don Estes. Uh, Don, before break, we started talking about some of the challenges businesses have uh, with these systems. And there's, there's sort of a list that can, can go on. And, um, uh, but I, I just want to talk about what, what are some of the kind of things you've seen. And, and also, uh, what kind of risks organizations have with these systems that they may not realize they have? Oh, well, they definitely uh, don't realize what they have. I'm uh, <clears throat> dealing with the system uh, right now that uh, uh, if, if they were to publish uh, what their business is depending on for day-to-day operations, um, their stock price would probably drop in half or less. 
um, they probably need to, to uh, you know, the Sarbanes-Oxley probably applies here in terms of a material risk to the business. Uh, it's so intricate and so um, you know, uh, put together, uh, just like the 1960s. It came out of the 1960s. Um, uh, and anything can cause a breakage uh, anywhere. Uh, I got called in because they were having a breakage. <laughs> um, but I think that, you know, when people think about, about risk and, uh, uh, and, and business operations, well, well, I think there's two things. There's the risk to the business if the computer does something wrong. Uh, you know, that's a programming problem. But um, uh, you, know, you hear every now and then about somebody got a check for $20 million instead of $20. You know, those kinds of things. Uh, you don't hear about them very often, but they happen a lot more often than, uh, uh, than you'd want to think. But when the other thing uh, about risk is if you're going to try to rebuild these systems, um, what kind of risks are you undertaking? And the, uh, uh, <clears throat> we, we see headlines about, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars lost. There was, um, I, I remember, I think year before last, uh, uh, one of the major uh, insurance companies who shall remain nameless um, uh, just canceled a, um, a $1.5 billion project because they were never going to succeed. They weren't even close. And they just said, you know, that's, that's it. Um, and you see headlines, you know, 100 million here, 200 million there. But those aren't the real problems because those don't happen that often. The real problem is the projects that um, succeed, in quotes, but they succeed after having gone significantly over budget, uh, uh, delivered late, creating uh, business operational problems, and with functionality shortfalls, that they get it wrong. They get, they get more $20 million <laughs> checks. Those kind of problems uh, uh, are, are happening. Um, and that happens very often. And if you add all of those up, it's a much bigger problem than the $100 million headlines. Yeah, we had um, Jim Johnson from Standish Group on uh, a few shows back and episodes back, and he's, he indicate, you know he was sharing some of his statistics, but that's a big category of what, what they call challenge projects. It delivers something, yes. but it's not delivering what the business wants, expects, or needs, and, and it falls short. Uh, there was a financial institution that uh, you and I were chatting about yesterday that couldn't put out a new fund uh, for its customers to stay competitive with the other the other guys because of their systems. And that got up to the yeah. board level, right? So it, mm-hmm. a lot of times these things rise to the surface, but a lot of times people aren't really aware of them. So it, it's not... So it's not that organizations haven't tried. You, you've talked about oh, some yeah. of these. They're spending money. They're spending a lot of money, right? So what are some of these... Uh, what are some of the solutions that you've seen? And I'm calling them solutions actions that organizations have taken to try to deal with uh, some of these systems? Because I think that there's some misunderstandings out there in some of the um, investments they're making and what they think is going to fix things, right? Well, the first thing is you don't get a $100 million budget in order to recreate exactly what you have right now. Right. You're, you want to make it better in some fairly significant way or you're not going to get the money. Well, remember the problem? You put everybody who's knowledgeable about the system in a room and ask them to write down uh, how everything works. Uh, well, they'll try. They'll tell you what they think they know. But one of the fundamental pr- principles that I use in this business is people cannot tell you what they don't know. But they'll try anyway. And they'll tell you things that are wrong. And you'll depend on that. Um, uh, and, and then as you take this set of, uh, uh, of imperfect specifications, 
and you work against them, then um, you get to the part where they want new functionality. They want to change this, and they want this to work uh, differently over here. Oh, if you want to change a screen the way it looks like, you know, you know put it on a browser or something modern, uh, that doesn't matter a whole lot. But it's the fundamental uh, functioning of the system. You know, if you're going to uh, deposit a check into your checking account, you want to make sure that check goes into your checking account, not into somebody else's. Those kind of really fundamental uh, uh, sorts of problems. But when you change things while you're rebuilding it, you no longer can test the new system against the old system. You have no way of knowing if it's right or wrong. And so what happens? People say, well, okay, it must be good enough, so let's put it into production. And then things start blowing up and the wrong checks go out and deposits don't get made, orders don't get placed, and they just somehow kind of work through it. But, it, uh, you know, those are, quote, uh, projects that succeed, end of quote, but with dramatic functionality um, uh, uh, defects. What you have to do is you have to mine your legacy assets. And I use the word asset very carefully because most people think of these systems as liabilities. <laughs> the fact of the matter is they are assets and you can mine those assets to give you all of the myriad details that the people themselves don't know. Uh, if you first reproduce that essential functioning, not there's, there's a lot of stuff you don't have to, but if you get the main things right and then you compare that against the old system until you know that they're equivalent, at that point you can go forward and you can start uh, changing things and you can start building your new functionality and, and what have you, and you'll be fine. But if you don't reproduce the business functionality first, you will never know whether you've done it right or not. Yeah, and that, that's a that's a nuance a lot of people probably don't appreciate because you know there, there's there's several approaches to to doing a lot of these things, right? You can you can try oh, to yeah. take the whole thing and 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 try to move it somewhere, uh, or you can try to uh, rebuild it. Uh, without knowledge that you just were talking about and you're working in total dark and have no idea what what it should be doing or what it has been doing. Uh, Or you can try to rebuild it and then mine that intelligence. Now, which, which you and I have been on efforts to do that. And, but I would say that that's probably in the minority of the work that's going on out there that most people are either trying to take the whole thing and, and, you know, pick a system up and move it somewhere which architecturally could be a disaster, but that's another story. Yeah. <laughs> uh, or, or they're trying to rebuild it with one of these 100 million, 150 million, 200 million, or the, num- the numbers go up, projects. And right. they really don't know what the old one's doing or what the new one should be doing without any of this mining. And so they're working really in the dark. And, and that's when, you know, you said, you indicated that, you know, it's one thing to fail. It's another thing to think you succeeded and then cost, cost the organization all kinds of issues and, and risks, right? Yes. Um, what, let me, I want to talk about platform migrations for a minute, more, something you're more than familiar with. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. There, there are organizations who will come in, and there's more than a couple, who will come in and they will pick up one of your systems, and they can convert the languages in, in a lot of cases, yes. and, and yes. they will move it to another platform. Yes. And so there are there are people in the business suite who don't understand the technology, fair enough, but who think that the problem is the box that's sitting in the room as opposed to the oh, software yeah. that's running on the box. Can, can, can you talk a little bit about that particular misconception that people have out there? Well, I see it all the time that uh, people say, oh, we've got our stuff on a mainframe. And if we just get rid of the mainframe and get rid of all of this all old COBOL or PL1 or whatever the language was, well, then everything will be fine. Um, well, the fact of the matter is, first, it's not the mainframe. Uh, you, you can build perfectly fine applications. Any application you can build uh, in the cloud or any other implementation, you can build on the mainframe and it will run just fine. 
Mm. It's not the mainframe. It's the, it's the software itself. So if you take the software that's got all of those problems that are driving you crazy, and you pick that up and translate it to Java and, you know, and, and uh, deploy it off in the, in the cloud somewhere, and you think, oh, everything's going to be good. Well, guess what? You have exactly the same problems. It's just now they're in Java instead of in Cobalt. And, and uh, I think you might have heard my analogy on that. It's, it's, I've written this horrible novel, and it's in German, and now I'm going to translate it to French, and that's going to make it a great novel. In reality, <laughs> I, have a, I have a really rotten novel in French, you know, and if I translate it from French to, right. to, to Spanish, I'm still going to have a bad novel. It's not a good novel. So what you're doing is you're taking bad stuff, and you're changing it, basically its face of it, and then moving it to somewhere else. And just a side note, later this, um, uh, I think next month or maybe a little later, I'm going to have the, uh, the head of the, the IBM mainframe division, the ZOS uh, oh, wow. uh, division mm-hmm. on, and I'm going to be talking to uh, him about some more myths that are out there. So, so that's good. I, I think that I wanted to get that message out there because there are more than a few organizations around the world. And, you know, I, I've seen it. It may be more prevalent in Europe, but I've seen an awful lot of it across North America and other places where, that are spending tens or hundreds of millions of dollars trying to replatform these things and thinking somehow that that is magically going to make their world better. And and so, yes. right. So so getting back to some of what you talked about, mm-hmm. um, th- that that you talked about understanding what these systems do. As you try to build something that's new, you are going to uh, mine, and we'll use that yes. word you used, uh, mm-hmm. the intelligence out of these systems. And, and this is something that you've done uh, a good bit of, right? Quite a bit, yeah. Maybe talk a little bit more about, about that, you know, that work. Well, uh, this process is called business rule extraction. <clears throat> and... Uh, and there's a variety of tools out there and people say, Oh, well, I can take my old code and I can uh, just run it through these tools and, and I'll get all of my, my business rules out. And now I'll know everything that I need to know in order to rebuild the system. Well, there's, there's a couple of problems with that. One is that if you use one of the systems, which is fully automated, you will get something out that looks like business rules uh, but they'll be wrong and they'll be incomplete. Um, that's obviously a problem. Um, the other thing is, um, uh, we, we talked about complexity before. Uh, in any uh, sizable system, the greater majority of the, pro, uh, of the program code will be relatively simple, uh, sometimes even trivial. Um, and then it'll get a little more complicated over here. And then you have a couple of, uh, uh, of programs where the um, complexity of the code is just, well, it's literally astronomical uh, in, in terms of the, uh, uh, the, the various permutations of the code and the way that it, it executes. Well, these tools are really good on those simple programs. Uh, but, of course, you can just sit and read the simple programs yourself. You don't really need a tool, but a tool does great on that. And then you start getting into these more difficult problems, and you start having more and more difficulty. And when you hit the really, really nasty ones that run out of gas. Um, and, and this is a real issue because if, if you're going to rebuild your system, um, 90 or 95% of the effort of rebuilding the system and getting it right will be spent on the five or 10% of the business rules that are actually very complex. Oh, and those, those are the ones that the tools break down on and they can't, they can't make it work. Um, that was the fundamental uh, uh, issue uh, behind the, uh, the patent I was awarded uh, for uh, Dynamic business rule extraction. And the, Go ahead. The key, the whole purpose of that is to get 100% of the business rules 
and to be able to demonstrate, be able to prove that you got all the business rules correct and that you didn't miss any. And missing them is the biggest problem. I, I got called into this one uh, uh, near disaster at a major uh, federal installation that shall remain nameless. Uh, but, uh, but they uh, uh, they needed to get all of the rules out and they didn't. And that was the reason that they had the near failure that they did. So I want to pick up on the other side of the break uh, a little bit more about, you know, how, how can we, what guidance can we give organizations as they think about these things? Uh, you're listening to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing breaking through the legacy system strategy execution barricade with my guest, Don Estes. You can contact Don at Don Estes at DonEstes.com. We'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. Your organization is spending seven, eight, or even nine figures annually on transformation programs, and you're questioning the bottom line business value. You were told not to worry. We've engaged the best system integrators, and they said all is well. Has your IT organization become a black box where money goes in, but nothing comes out? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich has seen every side of this story, from upfront happy talk to painful post-mortems. Find out what's really going on. Visit tacticalstrategygroup.com and ask about TSG's Transformation Oversight Service. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to WMMulrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. That's WMMulrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. You can reach me on LinkedIn, by email, or at my website. We're discussing breaking through the legacy system strategy execution barricade with my guest, Don Estes. So, Don, um, so we've got some pretty good background here, and we've, we've discussed what sounds like a, a problem that's just overwhelming to people. Uh, but, you know, we, we'll try to give people some advice going forward, right? So. Yeah. Um, some of the things you talk about are different patterns and systems that you can use to help make decisions, mm-hmm. but there, there's no one size fits all solution is what people need. To that understand. is probably the most important single message to get out there. There is no one size fits all. Um, I'm working on an article right now where I lay out 11 different uh, modernization patterns mm-hmm. and I look at them not just from the lens of technology, but I look at them from the, uh, uh, from the business perspective. Uh, you know, what's the cost? What's the risk? What's the return on investment? Um, all of this needs to be analyzed uh, as well as the, as the technology issues. You just spoke a moment ago about people that do simple replatforming with a, a, a code translation. Uh, I very rarely recommend that as a solution, but every now and then that actually is the right solution, and I do recommend it. Um, There are times when you really should take a white sheet of paper and you should write down everything that you want, and you should rebuild the system from scratch. 
probably because you're going to, you're inventing a new business and you want new software to drive that business. That makes sense. But when, when your business is not changing, um, you want to change the software in order to change the technology. You want to change the, uh, uh, what the software does only when you change the business. Uh, you want to do one thing at a time. Or, well, or you can change the business, but that'll be difficult if you don't change the software. Uh, uh, different approaches have different uh, uh, risk profiles and different costs. Uh, the middle of the road is, you know, uh, if one extreme is, is rebuilding it from scratch and the other is uh, uh, the replatforming that puts out this incomprehensible uh, Java code, it works, but, you know, Lord help you if you're going to try to understand it. Um, well, in the middle, there are uh, some other approaches to doing it that allow us uh, to make use of the legacy assets, um, but without incurring the problem that comes from the, from the replatforming. And the business rule approach is one of them, but that's not, not the only one. Uh, so uh, I, I would say make sure you understand the trade-offs because there is no perfect solution and they all have trade-offs and you need to understand them to make a decision. So, you know, and these decisions are not done uh, by just IT. This, this is something where the business should really be driving it. Is that fair? Oh, that is so absolutely uh, true. The, um, uh, I am sick and tired of being asked to walk into a place uh, that says, oh, our mainframe is so expensive. We're going to, uh, if we put all of this in the cloud, it's going to save us so much money. And I have to say, I'm sorry, that's probably not going to be true. Yeah, you may save a little money. It may cost you a little money. But overall, the return on investment is probably going to be somewhere around zero. Um, but if you're only looking at savings and hardware and software costs, however, there's other, there, there's other things that uh, matter as well. Um, how many programmers do you have? Um, you know, I see a site, they'll, they'll have 50 programmers. Well, if their software uh, wasn't in such a heavily degraded state with all that needless complexity I talked about a minute ago, you could probably get, a, get the same amount of work out of 10 programmers. There's an opportunity when you're doing this to increase the productivity of, uh, of your programmers. But that's still within IT. Now, let's stop and think about it. Uh, uh, typically, across uh, major corporations, IT is about 5% um, uh, of the annual budget of the organization. So if we were to come in and make some unbelievable improvement in the, in the cost and productivity, everything, everywhere, such that we actually cut the cost of IT in half, we just added 2.5% to the bottom line. Well, that's nice. But if we can uh, rebuild the different uh, uh, business operational processes across the organization, if we make even a 10% improvement in, a, in productivity across the board, well, we've just added nine and nine and a half percent to the bottom line. And then if we think about using uh, these tools competitively to go out and bring in additional revenue, <clears throat> then you may have the best return uh, uh, of all. I, one example uh, uh, from a, a, a French client um, that their auto insurance business in France was losing money. And when they rethought the whole process and got their competitive uh, market position under control, where they could make changes in 24 to 48 hours, within a year, they doubled their business and they were profitable. Um, you got to think about the top line as well as the bottom line, and most of the, of the benefit will be in the business operations. 
But if you let IT do it, they've got blinders on and they're only going to look at where they're going to save money inside of IT. And they not only don't know, but they don't always want to know. So one of the things that I've run into is uh, you've got them. We're not here to talk about spreadsheets today, but you've got a lot of these organizations have hundreds of people out there with spreadsheets, uh, thousands and tens of thousands of spreadsheets. And those spreadsheets are gluing together things that the systems aren't doing. And they don't even look at this and don't even understand. First of all, if you change a lot of stuff radically, those things are going to break. And, you know, I had a uh, manufacturing uh, manager say to me one day, he goes, you know, if our uh, enterprise resource, our ERP system that they were running, which is a software package, breaks, it's an inconvenience. If these spreadsheets break, our production assembly lines stop working. And I've seen that at financial institutions everywhere else. So I'm not, you know, we're not going to, we're not here to talk about fixing spreadsheets. But if you just do this, 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 make these decisions in a vacuum, particularly in IT as a vacuum, without a full understanding of what you, what's really going on in your organization from a business perspective, you're walking, you're, you're blindly just throwing money at something. And you could literally be making the problem worse, again, saving that small percentage you talked about, but literally be making your business less customer responsive, less, co- less competitive, right? Uh, less, less adaptable to things. So I, I, you know, actually, yeah. I actually have one example of, it's been a few years now, but uh, the way the people approach the modernization, uh, every time they started to fail, they just doubled down and mm-hmm. doubled down. And by the time uh, they were done, the company was bankrupt. <laughs> and you may even remember yeah. them. I can talk about them now because uh, uh, it's, been, it's been almost 30 years. Uh, the old Foxmeyer Drug uh, uh, Company in, in uh, Wichita, Kansas. Uh, and they were, they, I remember the CIO said to me, no, Don, we're not going to use your plan. We're going to do it right. Well, I guess they did it right. Yeah, I had a uh, uh, somebody walk away. I was I was partnering up with one of the big, big eight, big six, big fours, and um, the uh, the head guy said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do it the old fashioned way, like 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 everybody else does, and and ended up not only spending millions of dollars and getting absolutely nothing, but ended up in a lawsuit with the systems integrator on top of it, just yeah. just just for good measure. Right. They, yeah. they, they sued each other on top of the whole thing because they didn't want to look at what was there. They didn't want to look at the reality of what's happening in the business. So, I, you know, my, my perspective, and, and I like to get your read on this, is that, you know, these investments should be as business driven. And it seems to me that, that a lot of and I don't know what your experience is on this, but a lot of the, the business side of the house is divorced from these decisions. Is that one of your experiences out there? Uh, even when uh, people say, oh, no, no, they're involved, they're involved, except they never show up to meetings. Um, uh, I think maybe they get a report once a quarter. Um, No, Uh, it's extremely rare to walk into one of these situations where the business people are fully engaged. They're there. They're part of the team. They're helping us deliver it. Those are the projects that you want. Unfortunately, they're rare. Yeah, and, and to me, if, if you, I'm a business executive and I don't have a clear strategy on how they're not just some magic, we're going to wave our wand, wand and bring in this, you know, this integrator who's 100 times better than the last five we, we had in here. Right. Um, and it's right. all going to work wonderfully. If there's not a clear plan and, and somebody can't explain it to me in simple English, of course. Uh, or whatever language of your choice, uh, then to me, you know, I'm not going to give them the money for that. I mean, that, that's sort of my sort of coming at it from the other direction standpoint. Um, right. Yeah. Well, and that's why people take these, these, uh, they can get funding for a, a simple project mm-hmm. like replatforming. Right. Um, uh, and they say, Oh, we're going to save so much money by going to the cloud, which of course will be false mostly. Right. Um, uh, you know that, but they can get money for it because it's not very expensive. Uh, but the problem is that if you if you look at the whole problem, the business problem, mm-hmm. the return on investment from 
focusing on productivity gains and, and new revenue can pay for a very expensive project in a, a relatively short period of time. Maybe, a, you know, one, two, three year payback, even though you're into serious money. But if you try and do these, these um, shortcuts, I, I think you're largely wasting money. So focused, uh, targeted, business-driven, of course, investments um, can start to pay back as opposed to some big sweeping thing that, you know, you think is a great idea because if, if we also have to look at who's giving people advice on these big, gigantic, yeah. you know, seven, eight, nine-figure uh, investments that they're making. Um, a lot of times it's coming from the integrator that you're going to be paying to do the work, right? Yes. Um, there's also the analyst firms, but maybe we'll leave them out of this for, for now. Um, <laughs> as, and, and, you know, when I, when I run into business people and they're like, well, IT is doing all this stuff and they're spending all this money and I don't frankly know what, what I'm getting out of it or why they're doing it. I said, well, you know, stop giving them the money is my, my take on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so in, uh, we have a couple closing minutes here. Um, so how would you, you know, uh, recommend, uh, about a minute strategy to, uh, to, to how to go forward if you could put something together for somebody quickly? Well, above all, focus on the business, uh, get yourself a partner who is more concerned with solving your problem uh, than they are uh, what their billings uh, are going to be to you every month. Um, look for effective methods to mine your le- to recognize and mine your legacy assets. Uh, ignore what's not valuable, which is most of it, and pull out what you really need to rebuild the system. That's the way to succeed in approaching even a complex legacy modernization. It's excellent advice. Um, you know, keep, keep, keep all your eyes open and uh, remember who you're getting your advice from is probably a, uh, yes. <laughs> a, a really, really good recommendation. All right. So uh, this is great, Don. I, uh, I suspect maybe we are going to want to have you back again uh, to talk some more about some of these kinds of things as we get more into it. Uh, my guest today has been Don Estes of Mavenware. We've been discussing breaking through the legacy system strategy execution barricade. Uh, you can reach Don at Don Estes at donestes.com or on LinkedIn. You can find links to the material reference today uh, posted on the North Star Radio Show page of my website, tacticalstrategygroup.com. Uh, thank you, Don, for sharing your insights. Uh, really appreciate it. Uh, my guest next week will be uh, Phaedra Boynanderis, and we're going to be discussing incorporating AI and cognitive computing into business strategy. Uh, you've been listening to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich, uh, your host, and you can contact me by email, LinkedIn, or at my website. Thanks for joining me today, and I'll talk to you all next week. Thanks very much, Bill. Thank you for tuning in this week to the North Star Please join host William Ulrich for another edition of the program next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll continue our discussion on strategy execution then. 